Morning. We are in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, we're looking at verses 9 through 12 this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, I would invite you to grab one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you, and you can flip it to page 941, that'll bring you to our text. A few weeks ago, I gave a very long introduction before we ever got into the text, and that's going to happen again. It's going to be a long introduction, we're going to talk about some things, and then we will, we will look at these verses 9 through 12. Lord willing, we'll be able to get through it. Finish on time. <laughs> so I want to start our time together this morning by reading some statements to you. And then I want you to just, <clears throat> as you're listening to them, I want you to see if, I want to see if you know who made them. Now I'll tell you up front that these statements that I'm going to read, they'll be up on the screen in a, in a moment. They were issued in the middle of the 16th century. Okay, so you might think, well, how in the world would I know who made those? Because the 16th century would be like 1500s to 1599, right? Some time ago. But they're, they're statements that still are held to today. They're statements that are, uh, as you'll see, you'll see what I'm saying. But uh, a lot of people are very familiar with them. They were made by a very powerful religious organization. And they were made in response to, or rather in objection to, a movement. Okay, these statements were made in objection to a movement, a, a religious movement that began earlier in the 16th century. So understand, the statements were made in response to a movement that began earlier, you understand, in the 16th century. And that movement is typically referred to as the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, a movement that, among some other very important religious issues, okay, like the authority of the Bible and things like that, it also held to and proclaimed the doctrine or biblical teaching that people, sinners, are declared right with God or justified, as we've been learning. They're declared right with God or justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, Period. That's it. That's what, in part, in great part, what this movement held to and believed, this Protestant Reformation. Now, as I've said in a previous sermon, the person credited with sparking this Protestant Reformation was a man named Martin Luther, a man I briefly talked to you about a few weeks ago when we looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. I brought him up then because... I was pointing out that he was doing some translating work of Romans. He was translating the book of Romans from its original language into the language of his people, which was German. Okay, and so maybe you were here and you remember this, maybe you weren't, so I'll just tell you again what I said. When he got to verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, when he got there, when Martin Luther got there, he translated that passage this way. So we hold that a person is justified without works of the law through faith alone. Through faith alone. And I told you then, when I brought that up, that the word alone that Martin Luther added to the Scriptures was not in the original text. In other words, he added that word. That specific word alone is not in the original language that Paul wrote the book of Romans in. So I told you Luther should not have added the word alone into his German translation of the Bible. 
But then I said this, even though that is the case, when you study Romans, when you look at the book, when you consider all that Paul has said, we know that that is absolutely what Paul meant, that people, that men, that sinners are justified by faith alone. And that was the point Martin Luther was trying to make because this was something they stood on. This was part of the Protestant Reformation, that nothing else comes into play when we consider our salvation. That is exactly what Paul meant, meant that we are justified by faith alone when he said we are justified by faith apart from works. And so contrary, beloved, to what many people believe, that means that we cannot and do not, listen, earn our salvation. We cannot and do not earn our salvation. In fact, we can't even contribute to our salvation, nor do we do anything to maintain or preserve our salvation. The truth, beloved, is we cannot in any way make ourselves right with God. We can't help with that process. Rather, according to God's word, we must simply do this. We must simply put all of our hope, our faith, our confidence in the one who can and does make and keep us right with God when we place all of our trust in him, that is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the divine Son of God who came into this world to redeem sinners, to reconcile them to God, to make the unjust just, to make righteous the unrighteous. I'm sorry, to make unrighteous the righteous. Whew. Scratch that from the tape. Before God. Okay? That's how we are made right before God. It is by faith alone. Do you understand? That was the main crux of the Protestant Reformation. And now these statements I'm going to read to you were made in response to that by a very powerful religious organization. Are you ready? All right, let's read them. I'll read them to you and you can just listen. You can pop that first one up. If anyone saith, that by faith alone, the impious or impious, depending on how you want to pronounce it, that's a word that means the wicked or the ungodly. If anyone saith that by faith alone, the wicked or ungodly is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification, then let him be anathema. Anathema is another way of saying, let him be banished, let him be excommunicated, let him be put out of the church. So if someone says that the ungodly, the wicked, are justified before God by faith alone, and nothing else is required to bring about this grace of justification, then according to this religious organization, they should be excommunicated from the church, put out, they're dead to them, banished on their way to hell. Okay? I think Romans 4, 5, we looked at this last week. Just consider Romans 4, 5. The one who justified is the one who believes that God justifies the ungodly. <laughs> All right, let's keep looking. Same organization. Another statement. If anyone saith that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy... God's mercy, 
which remits, what's remits? Cancels or pardons, okay? If anyone believes has, that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which cancels or pardons sins for Christ's sake, or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified, let him be anathema. Well, beloved, that's exactly what I believe. That's exactly what I believe. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Ready for another one? If anyone saith that the justice received, they're talking about justification, is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained. Pause for a moment. That is exactly what we say. We say that we are justified by faith, and coming out of that justification are good works. It is the fruit of our salvation, not the reason for our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then we go on to learn Ephesians. That's where I'm quoting from, that we have been created in Christ Jesus. We have been adopted into Christ Jesus for good works. The good works come out of our salvation. They don't lead to salvation. And yet this statement says, if you say that, if you say they're not a cause of the increase thereof, if you say you're not contributing to preserving your justification through good works, increasing it even, making yourself more right before God through your good works, if you say that, if, you don't, if that's the case, let them be anathema. One more. If anyone saith that after the grace of justification has been received, to every penitent, repentant, that's the word, that's what it means. So for, to every repentant sinner, the guilt is remitted, it's removed. If anyone says this and the debt of eternal punishment is blotted out, in such wise that there remains not any debt of temporal punishment, that's exactly what I believe. To be discharged either in this world or, okay, now here comes a new idea, or in the next, in purgatory. So some of you now might know where these statements came from. Before the entrance to the kingdom of heaven can be opened to him, let him be anathema. Do you understand what they just said? This is their statement. So here's the Protestant Reformation. Our sins are blotted out, completely dealt with, completely removed through the grace of justification when we have faith in Jesus Christ. It is by faith alone, and our sins are remitted, done with. As far as the east is from the west, they are put away. God makes a promise to us to never bring them up again. And they say, wait a minute, if you say that, and if you say that your sins have already been dealt with, and in fact, you don't have to do anything about this now as far as your sins being dealt with, either in this life or in the next life, in this place they call purgatory, you're to be an anthema. Who made all these statements, beloved? The Roman Catholic Church did. The Roman Catholic Church did in the 16th century at the Council of Trent. You can look it up. And just so you know, they stand by every single one of them still. 
still. They haven't repented of these statements. They haven't said these statements are wrong. They haven't changed their view. They have reaffirmed their commitment to these very statements. Now listen carefully. Some people get confused about all this because if you have a background in Roman Catholicism or you know Roman Catholics, sometimes you will hear them say that the sinner is justified before God through faith. They will make a statement like that. Here's the problem. They will not say it is through faith alone. They will not say it is through faith alone or only by faith a sinner is justified. They will not say that. They completely reject that idea. Now, if if they're Catholic and they don't reject that idea, then they shouldn't be Catholic anymore because the Catholic Church rejects that idea. That's their teaching. That's their doctrine. That's what they hold to. Instead, the Catholic Church teaches that our justification depends in part, among other things, on good works, preserving it and increasing it. And it also depends in part on us being punished for our sins after we die in a place that they refer to as purgatory, a place that is not biblical. It's made up. It doesn't exist. And therefore, they reject the teaching that we are fully and completely justified or made entirely right with God all at once, in this life, by faith alone. They reject that. Justification is not a process. It's not something I contribute to. My justification isn't completed by doing good works or going through all these routines that I'm required to by the Catholic Church. Justification is not then finally completed when after I die, I go to a place called purgatory where there I suffer the punishment for my sins, the ones I guess I didn't deal with in this life. And then finally, when I've endured all that punishment, finally then God can say, all right, you're good with me. Now, I brought all that up. I brought all that up because what the Catholic Church rejects, that justification is by... I mean, I don't know, maybe you guys have wondered, you know, why aren't we all Catholics? You ever wondered that? I'm not a Catholic because I believe some things the Bible says that they absolutely reject, some actually really important things like how it is that one is really saved. That was the reason for the Protestant Reformation. That is the reason we have Christian churches. That is the reason there is a a split. And remember, it was the Catholic Church that said, if you don't hold to what we believe, then you're basically on your way to hell. They're the ones who said it. You're put out of the church. You're excommunicated. Well, then I guess I'm excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And I brought all this up because... What the Catholic Church rejects, that justification is by faith alone, was also rejected by many of the Jews in Paul's day. That's, this is the same thinking. And what Paul is addressing in this section of Romans is that very issue, that justification is by faith alone, not faith plus something else. Many Jews in the first century, and still today, believe that in order to be right with God, among other things, they must observe the Mosaic Law, And also, as a male, as a male, as a man, they had to undergo the Jewish rite of circumcision. And this rite, this religious rite, was a religious ceremony that was prescribed by God to Abraham and his male descendants after him. 
And so Paul now takes up this matter and carefully and clearly points out by once again referring to a very relevant verse found in Genesis 15:6 concerning Abraham and his faith, that it is clearly by faith alone and by nothing else, including any religious ceremony, even the Jewish ceremony of circumcision, that a person is counted righteous by God and thereby made completely acceptable to God. It is apart from any of those things. It is apart from circumcision. It is apart from any religious ceremony. Why? Because it is by faith alone that any sinner is made right with God. Period. That's the doctrine. That's the teaching, you see? These are the things we need to know, hold to, maintain, believe, and preach, and teach in a world that's very confused about how one is made right with God. Beloved, the issue of how we are justified, it, it was an important subject in Paul's day. It remains so today because getting this right and wrong, listen, getting this right and wrong is really the difference between heaven and hell. I would encourage you, I've encouraged you before to read the book of Galatians, but in Galatians 5 too, here was the issue. Judaizers came in. They came into the church and they said to the Christians who had faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, they said, that's not enough. That's not enough. That won't justify you. You must also be circumcised. You must also come under the law of Moses. Basically, you must become a Jew. And Paul says something really interesting. He says to these Christians in Galatia, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, if you become circumcised, if you do this, then Christ is absolutely of no value to you. That's not, those are not my words. Those are Paul's. And what he means is it's not like circumcision would undo their Christianity, but if they were to put their hope and faith in circumcision instead of keeping it all in Christ, then basically they have departed from the faith. You see? That's what Paul said. That's how serious this issue is. We get this wrong, we get salvation wrong. The Catholic Church, as big as it is, has unfortunately had and continues to have a significant influence on many people's understanding of how a person is saved. I bet you quite a few of you have some background or influence from the Catholic Church. Maybe you grew up, your parents grew up in the Catholic Church, therefore you were in the Catholic Church, or you have friends that are part of that church. I'll tell you right now, most of them probably don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Most of them may not even know these things. But they are the true nonetheless, and they are taught by those in authority in the Catholic Church. But as a result... Many people's understanding of how a person is saved is confused. They do not hold to the biblical doctrine that we are justified by faith alone. That is the case for many because they've been influenced by this massive organization. Rather, they have bought into the lie, and that's what it is. I don't know what else to say. It's not, a, it's not another opinion it's not another way to heaven. There is only one way. Do you remember in Galatians, Paul says, I'm concerned for you guys because you are buying into another gospel. There's really only one, but you're buying into another one, another way that says this is how you are made right with God. But there is no other gospel. There is the gospel that takes you to heaven. There's the gospel that takes you 
to hell. So many have bought into the lie that we are made right with God, not by faith alone, but rather by faith plus a bunch of other things, like doing good deeds and complying with religious ceremonies, and even after you die, suffering in this place called purgatory, so you yourself can finish out the process of justification that Jesus started on your behalf. And so on and so forth. And you know, it seems that humanity in general, no doubt because of our sin nature, beloved, has always had a hard time accepting and fully believing that teaching, the teaching of God's word, that sinners, listen, that sinners have absolutely nothing to do with their salvation. They just have a hard time accepting that. We have nothing to do with our justification. It is absolutely and entirely a free gift of God that is received by faith. End of story. That's the message of God's word. One writer puts it this way concerning these things. He says this, man in sin is always anxious, listen, to claim a little credit for himself. He resents the doctrine that salvation is solely and entirely a free gift of God. Man in sin, man in his pride, man in his arrogance, man, woman, humanity, in their sin, they just have a hard time letting go and saying, you are completely helpless before God. You can do nothing to make yourself right with him. You can do nothing to keep yourself right with him. You can do nothing to add to the rightness of yourself before him. It is completely and solely a matter of faith, and it is a gift of God's grace, his unmerited and undeserved favor, that any sinner is ever saved. That's the truth. But in our sin, we wrestle with these things. I agree with that statement that that man made, and I believe that is why so many people, listen, are drawn to the various religions of the world. This is why I think we have so many religions, and this is why I think they do pretty well as far as adherents, followers. Because, listen, all of them, all of them. You ever heard someone say all religions are the same? They're all basically the same? That is true with the exception of Christianity. I would not include Christianity in the mix. I would absolutely say, yep, they're pretty much all the same. Apart from true Christianity, all religions of the world have one thing in common. They all allow you to take some or even all of the credit for your salvation. That's what binds them together. Now, they define salvation in all kinds of crazy ways, you know? Nirvana, whatever it is. Reaching the upper level, inheriting your own planet. I don't know. There's different ways that they, they identify salvation, but all of them have that in common. One way or another, you have something to do with contributing to your salvation on different levels. But you know what? Here's what Christianity says. Here's why Christianity is set apart from all that nonsense. Christianity says God gets absolutely all the credit, all of it, for saving sinners. That all we simply do is receive. That's all we do. We receive the gift of salvation through faith alone, and that is it. We simply receive, beloved. 
Nothing else is needed or required to make us right with God. And beloved, that is the true gospel. That is the true gospel. Men have spilt their blood over defending this true gospel. Because it's that important. Maybe we, I think maybe we take it for granted, but you understand there has been a fight through history to defend this, to proclaim this, and to stand against anything that would reject the teaching of the true gospel. All right, so let's look at the text we've arrived at here in Romans chapter 4. But before we do that, I want to remind you again that Romans 4, this chapter that we're looking at, it falls in the context of this issue we have been talking about, that is the issue of justification by faith alone. In other words, Romans 4 sits right there in a context of this particular subject of justification by faith alone. Let me prove that to you. Let me remind you by just taking you back a little bit, and we've been through some of this already. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20, so this is the chapter that precedes chapter 4, that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. By works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared right in God's sight. Then, in verses 22 through 25 of chapter 3, we learn this. All who believe, all who believe are justified by God's grace, His unmerited favor, as a gift. We don't earn it. It's just given to us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. And all of that, beloved, is received by faith. Then in chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says that God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the one who God justifies. That's the one who God declares right before him. And then in chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says that we hold, we maintain that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He just keeps coming back at this. Then we arrive at chapter 4. And in verses 2 through 3, Paul says, If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For the Scriptures tell us that Abraham simply believed. That's what he did, because he references Genesis. That's what he did to be justified. He believed. And I explained to you last week that what that means is that Abraham had faith in God, and the promises God made to him, promises that were made long before Jesus came into the world, almost 2,000 years before this event occurred, but promises that included and pointed to Jesus, the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of Abraham's faith in God to fulfill those promises... God credited or put to Abraham's account something he did not have, but needed. And that is the righteousness of or from God. A righteousness that would be made possible through the coming one, Jesus Christ. And this gave Abraham a righteous status before God and made him absolutely and fully acceptable to God. So God justified Abraham by his faith alone. Now listen, you get all the way through chapter 4. We're making our way through chapter 4, but then you get to chapter 5. So 
on one side of chapter 4, we're talking about justification by faith alone. It's apart from works. It's just by faith that God justifies the sinner. And then we go through Romans 4, because now he's going to show us Abraham to make that very point. And then we get to the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, and what do we read? Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, therefore, since that is the case that I have been making clear in chapters 3 and 4, here's some other things I want to tell you about this great doctrine. Okay? So the whole thing, chapter 4, falls in the context of justification by faith. Don't forget that when we're talking about Abraham. Okay, now Romans 4, 9 through 12. Here we go. Reading there, beginning in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, so if you have your bulletins inside there, you'll find an outline. We're simply continuing to examine and draw out several truths from the faith of Abraham so that we might understand the role and nature of faith as it relates to our salvation. Last week, we finished up the first point. It was not by works, but rather by faith that Abraham was justified. Okay? So I would encourage you to, if you weren't here, to listen to that. This week, it's very simple. It was not by circumcision, but rather by faith, that Abraham was justified. Paul is systematically removing all of these things that the Jews had placed their confidence in to make them right with God. Because he's saying over and over again, listen, it is justification by faith alone. Not works, not circumcision, not ceremony, not anything else, not the law. It is simply faith in the one who makes you right with God. He does it. You have nothing to do with it. That's a humbling, humbling position for our proud hearts to accept. But it is absolutely the case. It is absolutely the case. So, point two, that's the, this is the point we're going to draw out of this section of Romans. So let's just go through the text together. Let's just take a look at it, beginning in verse 9. Is this blessing, that's the question Paul's going to ask right here, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? Okay, the question you would ask is what blessing? What is he talking about? Well, this clearly refers back to the blessing Paul had just spoke about in the verses immediately before this one. Let your eyes glance down at the text. You can see it there in your Bibles. Verses 6 through 8. That's what he's talking about, which in the context, and we talked about this last week, is the blessing of justification. It's the blessing of justification. It's the blessing of being declared right with God apart from works and forgiven by him. And so in Paul's explanation of the blessing of justification in verses 6 through 8, 
we learned last week that justification included, this gracious act by God includes, where, you know, where he counts the believing sinner righteous or credits them with his righteousness entirely apart from their works. In this blessing is also included the fact that God does not count our sins against us. So it's a double counting. We talked about this last week. The act of justification is that he counts to us, credits to our account, his very righteousness. And in doing that, he also forgives us of all of our unrighteousness. He does not credit that to our account. And all of this takes place through faith alone in Christ alone. God completely forgives their sins and declares them right before him. So again, if that's new and new concept to you or new idea, I really dealt with that in more detail last week. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. So Paul now asks a question in verse 9. Is the blessing, what blessing? The blessing of justification. The fact that we are declared right before God, credited with his righteousness and forgiven of our sins. Is that only for the circumcised? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? In other words, is it only for the Jews who were commonly referred to as the circumcised, because they were the circumcised? Or is it also for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the uncircumcised people? Now, why would Paul ask this question, since he really has already addressed it in chapter 3, verse 29? Look, look back at the text. He's already answered it. Okay, so Romans 3, 29 through 30. There he says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. You know, this is Paul's method. He asks questions and he answers them. Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. The Jew and the Gentile both are made right with God in the same way it is through faith. So Paul's already answered the question. Why is he asking it again? Well, I believe Paul raises the issue again by asking this question in Romans 4, a chapter that is speaking, remember, primarily about Abraham, okay? Because Abraham absolutely makes Paul's case. Abraham proves what he has already said, that justification, salvation, is for all who believe, Jew and Gentile, and therefore, in the matter of justification... All that matters is faith. Just remember that. In the matter of justification, all that matters is faith. He's going to drive that home again by taking us back to this man Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish people. Now, we're going to come back to Abraham in Romans 4 in just a second, but first, I want to ask and answer the question myself of why does Paul make such an effort to prove to his readers that justification is by faith alone? Why? There was no Catholic church. He wasn't battling that. Well, because there were many Jews. Listen, they were, there were many Jews that would have been reading Romans or that the readers of Romans would have been encountering and having to deal with who were convinced that in order to be saved, in order to be right with God, you had to enter through the door of Judaism. You had to go through that door, which meant that you had to be circumcised assuming you were a male, of course. And beyond that, you had to observe the law of Moses. And if you want to look that up for yourself, I've mentioned this before, but in Acts 15, 
You can read that chapter. This was a real issue in the early church. They were thinking, hey, it's not enough that these Gentiles just believe and then all of a sudden God accepts them? Wait a minute. They got to be circumcised like us. They got to come under the law of Moses. They got to observe that. You'll find it right there in Acts 15. By the way, that idea was rejected by the apostles, but it was still at the core of what they believed. They had a hard time letting go of this. And they were dead wrong concerning this, that they had to be circumcised or undergo or observe the law. The ceremony of circumcision didn't make the Jew or anyone, for that matter, right with God. See, that statement I just made, you guys don't even, you're like, whatever, okay? Because to you, circumcision is just a medical decision now for your kids, okay? Maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Is it safe? I don't know. You know, if you're a dad, you know, we talked about this before. If you're a dad and you're circumcised, then maybe you're going to have your kids circumcised and vice versa. You don't think of religious ceremony, but that's what it was for the Jew. That's what it was. It was specifically something that was prescribed to them by God. Now, how do we know that the ceremony of circumcision didn't make the Jew or anyone, for that matter, right with God? How do we know that for certain? Well, all we need to do, I mean, Paul said it, but all we need to do is consider Abraham, okay? The man who was prescribed circumcision. Let's go look at this guy. Let's see. And so, Abraham, listen, Abraham was instructed by God, you can look this up in your Bibles, in Genesis 17, to be circumcised. He and his male descendants after him for all generations. It was the outward mark of circumcision, beloved, that would distinguish the Jews from all the other nations, all the other people. And it would distinguish them or set them apart as a chosen people, people chosen by God, set apart by God, these people, for his glory, a people that he would use for his purposes in the great unfolding plan of salvation for the world. Okay, but here's the question. Was Abraham justified before God because of his circumcision? Or did his circumcision have something to do with his justification? Did it add to it? Did it help it? Did it preserve it? Did it maintain it? Is that the case? Well, let's go back to Romans 4, because this would have been an important issue for the Jews. Romans 4, look at verse 9. Back at the text, Paul asked the question, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And then Paul says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Okay, so what is Paul doing? He's simply reminding his readers at the end of this verse, verse 9, of what he has already established from Genesis 15, 6, the verse that he quoted in verse 3 of this chapter a verse that says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he says, listen, what's the case? Is this just for one group, just for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? Now remember what I told you. Remember what we just read. Remember what the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Now he asks another question. Romans 4.10. Look back at your text. How then was it counted to him? The NIV reads it this way. 
Under what circumstances was it credited? What were the circumstances going on? What was going on when Abraham was credited with the righteousness of God because of his faith? And then he says, was it before or after he has been circumcised? And he doesn't even wait. He answers the question. It was not after. He wasn't justified after. But before he was circumcised. Okay, this is so... Paul asked, answered his own question, and the point he's making is actually really simple, but critical and irrefutable. Irrefutable. Paul is simply recounting the sequence of events in Abraham's life that are recorded for us in Genesis 15 through 17. According to God's word, we learn that Abraham was justified by faith, Genesis 15, 6. That's where we learn that, right? Because his faith in God and God's promises resulted in God crediting righteousness to Abraham's account, to his spiritual account. Thereby, this unrighteous man was declared righteous in God's eyes. He was made acceptable to God. Now, as the story of Abraham unfolds, we are able to calculate from the text of Genesis that at least 14 years have passed between Genesis 15:6, where Abraham looked up into the sky and you know, God tells him this promise. Abraham, I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. Look up, do you see the stars? That's how your descendants are going to be. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, that's Genesis 15, 6. 14 years later, at minimum 14 years, based on reading the story, you can figure that out. In Genesis 17... God instructs Abraham to be circumcised. In other words, Abraham received the blessing of justification long before, long before, it's not even close, before he was instructed to be circumcised by God. Abraham was right with God by faith, here's the point, and not by any religious rite or ceremony like circumcision that God prescribed to him a decade and some change years later. That's his point. It's that simple. Guys, you missed it. You really missed You don't even understand Abraham. When was he justified? What were the circumstances? Was it, was it in relation to his circumcision? You're telling people that they cannot get to heaven unless they're circumcised. Are you nuts? Abraham was already right with God through his faith. Alone, there was nothing else involved. There was no religious ceremonies to take place. There was not even the law. We're going to get to that next week. The law wasn't even enacted yet. And the man is declared right before God through his faith in God and God's promises, promises that included the Messiah who would make it possible for sinners to be made right with God. Now, Paul could have just stopped there. Paul could have said, I've made my point. End of story. Done. I won. Right, but he doesn't. He does, and this is, you know, again, this is not like he's he's in a, a battle to win an argument. He, his heart breaks for the Jewish people. Okay, I maybe maybe I should just backtrack right now and say something about that. It would be the same thing for Catholics who are lost in this in this doctrine of justification by faith, plus this, plus this, plus this, plus this. I don't say what I say to beat up on Catholics. I say what I say because my heart is broken for them. And yours should be as well. 
And we don't stand back and go, oh, you're that, so you're, forget you, you anathemized us, and I don't like you, we're separate. No, we recognize that they have bought into a false gospel. That's the truth. That's hard, but that's the truth. And so we plead with them. We plead with them. And we give them the scriptures. And then we pray for their souls. Paul doesn't stop there in Romans 4.11. He received the sign of circumcision. Look back, Romans 4.11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Paul says, listen, circumcision is not what justified Abraham. Rather, it was a sign. That's what he said. It was a sign of his justification. Circumcision, as Paul explains, simply pointed to the reality. It pointed to something, that he was right with God. It functioned, it says, he says, as a seal, as a seal which is or was a word used to speak of something that confirms the truth or reality of something. A seal is something that confirms the truth or reality of something. Uh, one commentator, Bible commentator, points out that Paul used that very same word. You can look it up in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 9.2. He used that same word seal when he referred to the Christians in Corinth, the Christians, and he said those Christians were the seal of his apostleship, which meant that the existence of those Christians, when you looked at them, was confirmation of the authenticity of his apostleship. We know he's the real deal because of what happened in Corinth and people coming to Christ as he preached the gospel to them. So, a seal. In the same way, circumcision is a seal. It confirms the reality of the righteousness that Abraham already had. It doesn't make him righteous. It simply points to his righteousness. One writer says it like this, In like manner, Abraham's circumcision confirmed his righteous status, a status that was his by virtue of his faith. Period. So circumcision did not secure his righteousness. I know I'm saying the same thing a bunch of different ways, but Paul does the same thing because sometimes we have to hear it a number of different ways to have it driven home. It doesn't secure his righteousness, but rather it was a seal of his righteousness already received. So the fact that Abraham was circumcised, listen, added nothing to his justification. Added nothing. Do you understand? Added nothing to his justification. This religious ceremony, as important as it was, prescribed by God, added nothing to his, to his justification. Rather, it simply signified and confirmed the reality that this man was right with God. Why? Because of something he did? No, because of what he believed and in whom he believed and what he believed in the promises of God that through him would come one who would bless the entire world, would reverse the curse, would undo all that had been done to humanity through sin, reconciling sinners back to God. He believed, he saw to some degree through those promises. And because of that, God paid forward to him, credited to him the very righteousness of God, a righteousness that would be made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, going back to verse 11 and 12, we've got to wrap up. Paul concludes the matter now by pointing out God's purposes in all of this, of justifying, listen, he said, all right, so he justified Abraham while he was uncircumcised, and then sometime later he commands him to be circumcised, at least 14 years later, which, by the way, God required of 
all of Abraham's descendants, okay, the Jewish people, the nation God chose and set apart as part of his divine plan to bring salvation to the world. Okay? So why did God do all that? Why did he do that? So Paul speaks to that. Verse 11, look back. He received the sign, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Okay, just, he just keeps throwing that in there, guys. Circumcision had nothing to do with it. It just pointed to the reality that he was justified. And then he says this, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Pause. Who is that? Gentile believers. That's who that is. That's what Paul's talking about. The uncircumcised are the Gentiles. We've said this, I've said this a million times. What group do we fall under? Gentiles. So he did this as an uncircumcised man. He justified him. He included not the ceremony. It had nothing to do with it. So that Abraham could be the father of all who believe and so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, which is Gentile believers. That's you and me. All who would have faith like Abraham would also be counted righteous. And then it says in verse 12, and, double purpose, to make him the father of of the circumcised, get this, listen to this closely, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Who is that? Jewish believers. Believers. Those who also have faith like Abraham. We'll come back to that in a second. So, in other words, God did what he did so that Abraham, beloved, would be the spiritual father of all who believe and are thereby justified, both Jew and Gentile. Those who believe like Abraham likewise share in the blessings of Abraham. What blessings? The blessings of justification by faith, the blessings of salvation. Blessings that are made possible through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who is the promised descendant of Abraham, through which the blessings of justification are made possible to all people and made reality for all who believe. For all who believe. Remember we sing that song, Father Abraham, remember that a couple weeks ago? Has many sons. The sons of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, are all those who walk in the same pattern as Abraham, believing in the promises of God, believing in the ability for God to do those promises, looking back to the cross and saying, you did it, God. You saved me through that. Believing that, and they become children, if you will, spiritual children of Abraham, sharing in those same wonderful spiritual blessings. But don't miss Paul's statement in verse 12. At the end, I pointed out to you, we're almost done. He says that Abraham is the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, who are not merely circumcised. See, that is not what made the Jew right with God. They got this thing wrong. A couple thousand years of this practice, they started to believe. Remember we talked about this a while back. They actually believe if you're circumcised, 
It didn't even matter how you lived your life. It didn't even matter what you did. You would not go to hell. You would go directly to heaven. They, they associated this religious ceremony with their salvation. And Paul's saying, wait, wait. It's not just those who are circumcised. It's not just the Jews that, are, that go through the religious ceremony. Rather, it's the one, it's the one what? who walks in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was even circumcised, while he was still uncircumcised. He's the spiritual father of those who had faith like Abraham, not every Jew. That's what he's saying there. Now, that would be shocking, but that is exactly what he's saying. Not every Jew gets into heaven. It is the Jew who has faith like their ancestor Abraham. It is a faith that made him right with God, and it is a faith that makes Jew and Gentile right with God. And so one writer just says this, Paul takes the Jew away, he takes him away, this is what Paul's doing from any external rites, from any religious ceremonies, and he sends him back to that faith which Abraham exercised. That's the main point. Now, just simple application, because you're thinking, Jeremy, I don't, I don't think about circumcision like this, okay? I don't, I'm not even, I've never been worried about it, whether I am or I'm not. I've never even related it to the fact that I'm going to heaven or not going to heaven, so that was a big, whomping waste of time. No, it wasn't. It was very important because, remember, I told you, the same, it's the issue, beloved. It's the issue I want you to see. It's the fact that Paul is laboring to prove that we are justified before God, made right with him through faith alone. Faith alone. This was the Protestant Reformation. This is what they were dealing with, too. The Catholic Church had gone awry. Okay? The gospel had become distorted. That happens. And all Martin Luther was trying to do is call attention to this. He didn't want what happened, beloved. He was a Catholic. He's saying, something's wrong, guys. We got a problem with the way we're thinking. It's not biblical. And they said, oh yeah? You're out. Because we won't change. So this kind of thinking, whether we're influenced by Catholicism or not, we still get influenced by this type of thinking. It's in our culture and we're exposed to it. So this happens all the time. And this is why we spend a, a, a good deal of time trying to get people to understand what baptism is before they're ever baptized. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've said to someone, you know, we're talking, we're just having a conversation. And they say, I go, oh, you know, they pray for my children. I go, oh, okay, yeah, pray for, your, pray for their salvation. Oh, they're not saved? Yeah, they've never been baptized. What does that tell you? What that tells me is, is that somewhere along the line, they picked up the idea that in order for a child to be saved, or anybody for that matter, they have to be baptized. They're not relying on Christ alone. It's not faith alone in Christ. It's this act that I participate in, that if I dunk myself in the water and someone says some words over me, then I'm, I'm made right before God. Then I'm saved. So we spend an enormous amount of time trying to explain to people baptism is a sign and a seal of the reality that you are Christ, that you are His, that you are justified. Baptism speaks to the reality that already exists. It doesn't make it real. It simply points to that reality. Now, 
Should you be baptized if you're a Christian? You bet you should be. Jesus, this was his command, go and make disciples. How do you become a disciple? you got to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to turn to him, follow him, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them all that I have taught you. Do that. When that Christian who's a disciple gets baptized, they're saying, I'm a follower of Christ. He has saved me. I'm identifying with his death and his resurrection. I'm a new creature. And the Lord himself has commanded every Christian to do this very act. So is it important? Yes. If you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, you should be. But not for the reason that many people believe, that your salvation is hanging on it. That maybe if you're scheduled for baptism next Sunday and you die Saturday, sorry, buddy, you're out. You're out. You should have got baptized sooner. You see that? It comes up. So even in Christians who believe, yes, I believe I'm justified by faith alone, they regularly, maybe that's an overstatement, frequently, I don't even know how to say it, Many times in the Christian life, I've seen this, they begin to kind of move over to, I'm justified by faith, yes, oh, and plus some other things. Whether it be baptism or their good works. We're still struggling with this. We have a culture saturated in it. And every other religion of the world will tell you the exact opposite of what I'm telling you. They will say, you know, it's not by faith alone. You've got to do this and do that and do this and do that and do this. And when you've done all this and that, then you can have some assurance, maybe, that you're actually going to be right with God and go to heaven. And that's why when you ask a Catholic, try this. Dear mom, dear sister, dear brother, do you know for sure, you say you believe, do you know for sure that when you die, you will be in the arms of God, that you will be in heaven? That he will, he will welcome you in. He will come running for you. Do you believe that? And they will say in one way or another, no, I don't know. No one can be certain. No one can be certain. You can't be certain. That's not right. That's arrogant to be certain. Well, the reason they're not certain is because it doesn't rely on their faith alone in Christ. It's not that. It's all this other stuff. And they're hoping that they've done enough other stuff and then they still got the issue with purgatory to deal with. Even when they die, it's not over. They still got to go to purgatory and suffer for their sins. And then on this side of, of, of life, you know, that's when the church introduced all kinds of crazy things that Martin Luther was addressing. Like, hey, you want to get your uh, brother or sister out of purgatory sooner? It'll just cost you a few coins. That's what was going on. And Martin Luther said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. This is insane. We got to stop, beloved. We got to, I mean, we got to stop our time is what I'm saying. We got to stop our time. So I'm going to close in prayer. This is a very important doctrine. Very important doctrine. I hope you will wrestle with it and, and I hope you will defend it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Father, I do pray, I know I know, just looking at the faces of people in this room, a burden that came over them when I start talking about Catholicism because they have people they love who are committed to this type of thinking. They may not even know that that's what that church, that religious organization stands by. That's what they teach. They would reject us. 
They may not even know that, but they're caught up in all that. And, and so they might say, yeah, you've got to believe in Jesus. But is that enough? No, that's not enough. They're putting their hope in other things. All the things the Catholic Church has told them they've got to do to be right with God. And Father, it's, we see here it's no different really than what was going on in first century Judaism within the church. They were having the same type of battle. Jews were coming in and saying, it's not enough. You Gentiles can't be right with God simply by believing in Jesus Christ. You've got to do this and that and this and that. And Paul's laboring in love to try to show them, no, no. It is by faith alone that we are justified. Abraham is the model of this faith. God granted to him righteousness. He, he gave him a righteous status simply because he believed God. He believed in his promises. He put his hope in him that God was going to bring about salvation for him. Did he understand it all? No. He was 2,000 years removed from Christ. But he believed what God told him. We read that in John 8, Jesus says, Abraham, he looked forward to his day, Jesus' day, the Messiah's day, and he rejoiced. He knew enough that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah, and he believed in that. And because of that faith, God credited to him his very righteousness, making him fully acceptable, making a sinner acceptable to a holy God. Unbelievable incredible, amazing, that is the gospel. And Father, our hearts break for those who are caught up in systems and religious organizations where they have perverted that gospel. So Father, I pray, give us courage. Give us courage and wisdom to speak to those we love who are caught up in these lies. May we continually pour out our hearts before you in prayer, asking you to bring them to a place of repentance that they would see clearly what the Word of God says, that they would stop just buying into you know, the church because it's always been that way, so it should always be that way. And Father, even in this group right now, certainly, likely, there are some who are believing that they are, they are justified by their works or by something they have done or because of their good deeds. Father, may they see that that is absolutely wrong and may they repent. May they repent of such blasphemy. And may they put their faith in Jesus Christ alone, giving Him and you, Father, all the credit for their salvation. May they humbly bow. May they repent of any pride, any arrogance, and say, God, if it were not for what you did, if it were not for Jesus Christ, I would still be an unsaved man or woman. I would still be on my way to hell, helpless and unable to do anything about my condition. But God, you came into my life. You drew me powerfully, sovereignly to yourself. You took the blinders off my eyes. You took the plugs out of my ears. You granted me faith and repentance so that I could believe in this gift that you gave to me. And by that alone, I have been saved and forever will be saved. Help us continue, Lord, to maintain and keep our faith in you and in Christ and in his redemption. I pray all these things in his name. Amen.